Yeah, it is so exciting to be here because we pray for you guys every week. And uh, and so just to be able to be here and see your faces, even though I haven't met most of you, uh, but I know that you love Christ and that you're involved in this ministry that Thomas and Bruce and uh, Libby and Carol came up to start three years ago. I can tell you that it was about three, a little over three years ago, both Thomas and Bruce came into my office and they sat there in front of my desk and they said, we're leaving. And I thought, well, what do you mean you're leaving? And they said, we're going to go plant a church. Well, now you got to understand, Thomas and Bruce were incredible. They were an incredible part of our church. They had ministered in our church for years and years and years and had made such an, a huge impact on so many families. And so when they said they were leaving, it was like, uh-oh, now what are we going to do? And so, of course, we, you know, we talked to them a lot about it. And, and ultimately, we, we knew that the Lord was leading them in that direction. And so uh, it's just exciting to see here, uh, to be here this morning and just to see all of you who are part of the fruit of that decision three and a half years ago. And obviously, God had better plans for them than where they were. And so we're just excited for what the Lord is doing through you here and the opportunities that he has in this area to spread the gospel and to continue to grow his kingdom. And so anyway, we're excited to be here. The The Bridge Bible Fellowship, which is the church I'm from that sent uh, them, uh, everybody greets you and is excited. And I'm going to take a bunch of pictures back so that they can see your faces and uh, and pray for you by face. So Anyway, uh, would you pray with me? Would you stand up and pray with me as we begin this morning? Dear Father, we come to you and we're just, um, we're filled with gratitude. You know, we sang those songs about the truth of who you are and what you did for us in sending your son. And I know that we would not all be here in this room if it wasn't for that amazing thing that he did 2,000 years ago. What an incredible hope that we have because of that. And I pray that this morning as we look into your word, um, that we would allow the truth of that hope to really impact us, impact us in our lives in a way that would change us and that we would uh, be those who shine forth that hope to others, maybe in more of a way than we've done in the past. So, Father, I pray that you would be the one to speak this morning through your word and that you would be the one to receive the glory and honor. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. So I want to give you an offer this morning. And the offer is this. I want to send you on a 30-day vacation to anywhere in the world that you want to go. All expense paid. So I want you to think about that. Where would you go? Where would that place be that I would send you? There's just one catch. And the catch is that the whole time that you're there, you're going to be completely discontent and unhappy and complaining about anything and everything. Do I have any takers on that? 
No takers. Well, why is that? Because we know that contentment is such a valuable thing in life. Jesus gave us a much better offer. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, he says this, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Meaning you're discontent, you're wanting more. And he says, I will give you rest or contentment. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, what is it? Easy, and my burden is light. See, Jesus is offering contentment, true contentment, Christian contentment. And the thing I want us to realize is that this is not an empty promise. This is not just some make-believe thing. This is a legitimate offer from the Son of God of the universe. And so my question is, any takers for that? Anybody want that? Yeah, that's what we want, right? We, we know that He offers it to us. We know that it's a free gift. And yet, isn't it true that it is oftentimes so difficult to find? So difficult to find this contentment that He is offering that's free. So why is that? Why is it that it's so difficult to find? Why is it that we are often so discontent even though... That's what we're looking for. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're going after. And the reason is, the answer is, what Bruce was saying earlier in the, in the, the teaching hour, we have a heart problem. We have a heart problem. And that's why we don't find contentment. Think about it. We might be in our lives at one point, you might be having a really good day. Everything's going really well and you feel at peace. You feel very content. And then something happens, something little could happen that doesn't go your way. And then what happens? You start complaining. You start complaining. And as soon as you start complaining, what happens to the contentment? It just goes out the window, right? It's just gone. It, it kills our joy. It kills our delight. And it kills our contentment. So what are the things? What, are, what do we complain about? What are the things that we complain about in life? Let's think about some of these things a little bit. Driving. Do we complain about driving? Now, I was told that a lot of you are from California. How many of you are from California? Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. So I don't have to tell you about driving. You know about driving. <clears throat> we get in the car, and the person in front of us is going to... Slew, too slow or there's too much traffic, you know, whatever it is. You know, I live in the San Fernando Valley and I have a 15 minute drive to work and there's at least a hundred different temptations to complain between my, my home and my church. It's a temptation. We complain about driving. We complain about the weather, right? It's what? It's too hot or it's too cold. We complain about food. You know, we don't like the food. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not the flavor that I like. It's not enough food. 
you know, whatever. We complain about food. We have pet fees, right? Pet peeves. Different things that each one of us individually, you know, they bother us. They could be little things. But then something happens and, you know, then we complain about it. And, you know, we let people know. But we also complain about big things too, don't we? We complain about maybe our living conditions. Maybe we don't like our house because there's so many things that are wrong with it. Or we wish it was this. or We wish it was that. We complain about our jobs. Maybe you're in a job that you don't like. Maybe you have a boss that is really difficult to work with. You know, maybe the job isn't what you, you want to do. You wish you would do something else. Maybe you wish you made more money. Speaking of money, we complain about money, don't we? Because we wish we had a little more. And then when you get a little more, then you wish you had a little more, right? And, and, you com- and we complain about it. We complain about relationships too, don't we? We complain about, you know, Bruce was, was teaching us this morning about the marriage relationship. We complain about our, our relationship with our spouse. We complain about our relationships with our kids, with our parents, with our grandparents, with our friends, with our fellow church members. I know you guys don't do that here, but we struggle with that down in Southern California. We struggle with relationships and we complain about it. And then the big one we have, we have a, a, an older congregation. And so, and I'm kind of getting there myself. I'm not there yet, Thomas, but I'm getting there. And what do old people complain about? Help me. Our health, right? We have all these health issues that just come up and we deal with them every single day. And it just kind of be some, it's something that we talk about over and over and over. And oftentimes it's, we're just complaining and we're moaning about it. So just think about this with me, though. If we just had a little more, if things were just a little bit easier, if things just were going my way a little more than, than what they are today, then we wouldn't complain. Right? You think that would be the case? No. It's not the case. And it started with Adam and Eve. Think about this with me. Adam and Eve had everything. They literally had everything. Perfect everything. No flaws whatsoever. There was a perfect earth. There was a perfect garden. No weeds. And if you do weeding in the garden, right? And we complain when the weeds come. They didn't have any weeds. They had a perfect location. It might have been, you know, just outside of Meridian somewhere that you guys can't find. They had perfect weather, 24 by 7. I'm, I'm imagining it was 72 degrees outside. All the time, perfect weather. You know, they didn't have any global warming. That hadn't happened yet. They had perfect bodies. Think about that. Perfect bodies. They had perfect relationships. At the very end of Genesis chapter 2, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed, which in the Hebrew really kind of refers to the fact that they were completely open with each other and there was no shame. There was no hiding of anything. Think about that. What amazing time it was to be able to have that. They had perfect desires. None of their desires were sinful. 
Everything they desired was right. They had perfect emotions. Their emotions weren't all out of whack like our emotions are all out of whack. And so they had perfect contentment. They were completely content. They had literally nothing to complain about. Much better than us, wouldn't you agree? Much better than us. They had everything except one thing. You know what it was, right? Just one piece of fruit, one fruit from one tree that they couldn't have. And so what happened? The devil started working on them. The devil came, he starts working on them, and he convinced them, I think, that God was holding out on them. That's what he convinced them of. So they thought, wow, God is withholding from us this one thing that is so good. And of course we know what happened. So they took it. And from that time, discontent entered the world and it's been wreaking havoc ever since. Thinking that that plan was better than God's plan. And you know what? The devil uses the same strategy today. He uses the exact same strategy today. He is the seller of discontent. We went to a a little fair yesterday. Bruce and Carol took us to downtown Boise and there was a little fair there. And there's all these people selling things. You know what? I think the devil had a tent there somewhere that said discontent for free. That's what he does. He sells it, and we believe him. He tempts us to grumble and complain about anything and everything that we don't have. We don't have enough that's good. We don't, you know, what God has brought into our lives, it's not good enough. And so we complain about it. And we complain because we're not content. And then ultimately, the act of complaining itself even makes us more discontent. And so we have this problem. Now, I have to uh, do a little full disclosure to you of this. Uh, I went to a conference in February, and at the conference, there was, this, uh, there was this book that they gave us, and it stood out to me in a box of books because it was orange, bright orange. And so it just kind of, you know, I looked at the books, and I don't get that one. It's bright orange. Look at that one. It must be good. So anyway, it's called The Power of Christian Contentment. So I started reading it. Which was a bad idea because it was unbelievably convicting, terribly convicting. And so this guy who wrote the book, his name is Andrew Davis, and uh, he, he actually read a book that was written by a Puritan author named Jeremiah Burroughs in the 1600s who did a series on this whole topic of contentment and then they ended up putting that book into or putting those, those sermons into a, a book. And so then he he basically took the concepts and he wrote uh, kind of a more contemporary version of that. And so the, the book from the Puritan author is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I'm going to say it again, because if you can read that book, I'm going to tell you, you should read that book. The Rare Jewel of Christian contentment. It is an amazing book. It'll change your life. And it's all based on, like most of the Puritan writers, scripture that is applied to our life, to our souls. Anyway, I started reading that and I thought, man, I am really a complainer. 
I am really discontent, and I struggle with this a lot in my life. And so I decided, okay, I really need to start studying this more. And so, you know, as I have been in pain and suffering myself having to learn, I I figured I'd bring that pain and suffering to you this morning. Okay? Misery loves company, right? So, no, but I I really have been uh, struck by how much this sin of complaining has a hold of my life and how devastating it is and how it makes life so much worse. And so I think there's, there's really hope for us in really trying to understand this. So my question to you is, do you struggle with contentment? Do you struggle with temp- contentment? Do you struggle or do you think you struggle with the sin of complaining? You don't have to answer. I just want you to think about that. Is that a struggle for you? Some of you might be thinking or wondering, is complaining really that big of a deal? I mean, I think probably our world in general out there thinks that it's not that big of a deal. What's wrong with complaining? Especially if it's true. What's wrong with it? Well, the Apostle Paul thought there was something wrong with it. And so he warns the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. By the way, I, I did give some, some notes in, uh, in the bulletin so you can read some of the things that we're going through. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Paul says, Now these things... We'll talk more about what these things are. He's talking, he's talking about the, the wanderings of the Israelites in, in the desert. He says, These things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Okay, well, that sounds pretty ominous. Okay, he doesn't want us to be desiring evil like the Israelites did. Okay, got that. Verse 7, Do not be idolaters... As some of them were. Okay, that's, that's pretty bad stuff, right? That's pretty bad idolatry. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Sexual immorality, 23,000 fell in one day because of that. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Yeah, we don't want to test our Lord. So pretty bad things he's talking about there. And then look at verse 10. Nor what? Grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Wow. I guess God thinks it's a pretty terrible thing. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And if you go back to Numbers chapter 16, you see the place where he's talking about, and 15,000 people were killed because of grumbling. So it's a big deal. And so today I want to put a bullseye on this topic. I want to put a bullseye on the topic of the sin of complaining. And I want to show you that it is the enemy of contentment, the very thing we seek after, we go after, we're looking for so, so judiciously we go after it, and yet we can't find it. And and complaining is one of the reasons why. 
And I want to also show you that it's a gauge, that complaining is a gauge. It's like a fuel gauge. And it shows how much wickedness there really is inside of us. And I want to also show you that grumbling is a tool of the devil. It's a tool of the devil that he uses because he wants to steal our joy. He wants to take it away from us. And if he can get us to grumble and complain, anybody happy when they're complaining? No. So what is this sinful complaining? What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about a murmuring that comes out of a discontent. One guy defines it like this. He says, grumbling is that which directly or indirectly declares that God is not sufficiently good. He's not faithful. He's not loving. He's not wise. He's not powerful. And he's not competent. So that's what grumbling says, either directly or, like he says, indirectly. And it shows that we have a lack of faith. We don't believe him. We don't believe in the providential work of God, in, not only in our world, but in our own lives. Now, there is such a thing, because some of you might be thinking right now, well, is it ever right to complain? Isn't there a type of complaining that's a good complaining? And the answer is, yes, there is. Just like anger, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Yes, there is. And there's a thing that's righteous complaining. But I think just like righteous anger, most of the time our anger is not righteous. Would you agree? And I think it's the same thing with complaining. And so we'll talk about what righteous complaining is in a little bit. But for now, what I want to do is I want to show you seven ways that complaining is talked about as an evil thing in the scriptures. Number one, complaining is the opposite of praise and worship. Complaining is the opposite of praise and worship, which we were just doing a few minutes earlier, right? We were praising the Lord with those songs. And of course, Peter says what we should do about praise and worship. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you talking to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Isn't that a wonderful thing that Peter says that we are? I mean, sometimes we read those words and you've read them over and over so it doesn't hit you the same way. But think about it. We're a chosen people. God chose you. He chose you. What a wonderful thing. Why did he do that? Why did he choose you? Look at what Peter says next. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can you say amen to that? That's our hope, isn't it? Think of what God did for us. These amazing things that he's done, the hopes that he's given to us so that we would complain. Is that why he did those things? So we would complain about it? No, so that we would proclaim. That's why he did those things. But some of you might say, okay, Randy, but what about Monday mornings? Monday mornings come, 
the work starts over again. Mondays are never a good day, right? But we know. Think of what David wrote, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us, what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Do we realize that every single day that we live is a gift from God? One in which He wants us to thank Him for it. To thank Him for another day to live. What a blessing it is. But instead, my fear is sometimes we come to church on Sundays and we sing praises to God. You tell me if this ever happens to you. And then we barely get in the car to leave and we start complaining. Right? We start complaining about, man, Thomas went too long today. He probably doesn't do that. I do that. Or, you know, who knows? Didn't like the coffee this morning. Whatever it was, we start complaining. That doesn't match up with what we just did here, right? What we came to do to worship the Lord. James says it like this. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. These things ought not to be so. So complaining, it nullifies our praise. It's like canceling it out. And it reveals something really terrible about us. Number two, complaining reveals the corruption in our soul. Complaining reveals the corruption in our soul and it defiles us. This, this author I was telling you about, Jeremiah Burroughs, this Puritan author, he says this, it's a great quote. He says, as contentment real, reveals much grace in the soul... Strong grace, beautiful grace, so murmuring reveals much corruption, strong corruption, vile corruptions in your heart. Now we know this is really consistent with what Jesus talked about when he talks about the heart. Bruce mentioned this this morning, Matthew 15, verse 18. Jesus is talking about what comes out of the heart. He says, what comes out of the mouth, so what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And then when it comes out of the mouth from the heart, what does it do? It defiles us. It defiles us. I want you to think about it like this. I think grumbling and complaining is like vomit. It's like vomit. You know what vomit is. And when it happens, it comes out and it gets all over you and it stinks. Right? And if anybody else is around, they experience the same thing. And that's what complaining is like. Think of it that way. It's like vomit. Now, let me ask you, is there anybody in here who really loves to be around somebody who complains a lot? We know, don't we? We know that it's true. We don't like to be around people who are complaining because we know that the defilement that's coming out of them gets on us, and it brings us down with them. 
So keep that in mind. Think about it. Because contentment goes away as soon as this happens. And when this is a normal pattern of life, then complaining, number three, is the mark of an ungodly and rebellious generation. Complaining is the mark of an ungodly and rebellious generation. You know what a mark is, like a mark on the forehead. You ever see this mark on the forehead? What does that mean? Loser. When we complain, that's what we are, I believe. We're losers. We're marking ourselves in that way. Look at what the psalmist of Psalm 95 writes. This is such an amazing psalm. Verse 95, verse 1, he says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Oh, come. See, he's, he's, he's calling us, come. Let's come to the Lord. Come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Such awesome, an awesome call to come into his presence and praise him. These are the first seven verses that, that are calling this. But then the, the last four, in contrast, are a warning. And it's, and it's a very interesting warning. Look at this. He says, today, if you hear, are you listening? Are you listening? What are we listening for? God, what are you trying to say? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Well, what happened at those places, Meribah and Massah? Maybe you don't remember, but you do remember the Israelites when they were in Egypt, right? They were, they were in bondage. They were complaining. They were crying out to God for deliverance. And so he did. Right? He brought them out of Egypt with incredible, miraculous deeds. Why did he bring them out? Because he loved them. They didn't deserve it. He just loved them. And it was his plan to do something amazing for them. He was going to give them this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. He was going to give them this land of their own like he had promised to Abraham. That was his plan. But look at what happens in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Tough, I understand it. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses... And said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people, what does it say? Grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? And our children and our livestock with thirst. You see a couple things here? No faith. No gratitude. No gratitude. Did God do all those miraculous things to take them out of Egypt to kill them? Is that why he did it? 
No. He had a great plan for them. Now, also catch here that they are directly grumbling not to God, but they're grumbling against Moses. But they're grumbling against Moses directly and indirectly. They're saying, God, you are not in the right here. They're accusing him of evil. And so back in Psalm 95, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, still in Exodus, verse 7. It says, and he called, meaning Moses, he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the story that the psalmist in Psalm 95 is referring to. And it ends like this in Psalm 95. Catch this. This is amazing. This should really hit us. For 40 years, this is God talking, I loathed that generation. Wow. God says, I loathe them. Because why? Because they were grumbling. When he had nothing but great plans for them. But it wasn't going their way. Throughout biblical history, that generation was remembered as a bunch of rebellious grumblers. But my question to you and to myself is, what are we going to be known as? What are we going to be known as? We've experienced something much greater than the Israelites in Egypt. Would you agree? It's called what? Salvation. We know of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We know our hope, not in some land of Israel, temporary, like they would have had. We have the hope of eternal life, right? We've had something much greater. So the question is, like it talks about in Psalm 95, are we going to be like the, the first part of Psalm 95, worshipers and praisers, or are we going to be more like the end of Psalm 95, the grumblers and the complainers? Which one are we going to be? Number four. Sorry, it's getting tough, huh? Complaining flies in the face of the entire work of salvation. In five ways, really quick. One, it forgets how much we were forgiven. You remember the story that Jesus told about the guy who owed this king millions and millions of dollars. And he came and begged for forgiveness and the king forgave him ultimately that's a picture of our situation before God with our sin our sin is so great the debt is so great we owed God millions and millions of dollars that we could never repay and yet it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 because of the work of the cross it says that none of those sins that, that caused that debt to Christ, none of those sins are going to be counted against us. Imagine if I just asked you to list today the sins that you committed today. It would be a lot. But if you're in Christ, how many of those are going to be counted against you? Zippo. So, if that's the case, then what is there to complain about? Answer? Nothing. There's nothing to complain about. 
Number two, it forgets how amazing Christ is. Paul understood this in the book of Philippians. He says, for me to live is Christ. To him, that's what life was all about, was living for Christ. And to die is gain, right? It's even better than that. Because he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's like, I don't know which to choose. My desire is to depart to be with Christ because that's going to be amazing. But I want to stay, you know, as well, you know. But it's far better to go. You see, the, so the wrestling is Christ or Christ. Because he knows how glorious it is. Can you imagine the day? Maybe for some of you it's going to be a very long time away. But can you imagine the day when you're going to leave this world and you're going to see Jesus face to face? How amazing that's going to be. I want to tell you a quick little story about... um, a trip that we took to Niagara Falls in 2004. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? Pretty cool place. Yeah. So we're there. We're walking. and Okay, we get the picture there. We're walking along this little... You can see where people are kind of walking along the side and just, you know, taking as many pictures as you can with a digital camera because, you know, you walk a little bit and then the view is amazing and you walk a little bit more and it's more amazing and you walk a little bit more and it's more amazing and you just you just can't get away from the amazingness of this place. So we're walking along with, with my two boys when they're little and there's a couple who's a bit of an older couple and they, and they kind of walk up to us and the guy looks at me and he says, I'm not kidding you, this is exactly what he says. So, is this it? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, is this all there is? And I said, you're looking at one of the seven wonders of the world. And you're saying, is this it? But my thing is that when we complain, I think we're like that guy. We're like that guy. Because we have something way more amazing that's awaiting us, not only in the next life, but even now, with having the opportunity to live for Christ now. And I think when we complain, we treat it like, eh, is this it? No big deal. We forget our hope. Number three, it forgets the commitment that we made at our conversion to live for Christ alone. Because complaining says life is still about me. Life is about me. It's what I want. It's what I think. It's what I deserve. And I didn't get it, and so I'm complaining. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he, meaning Jesus, died for all that those who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. Wow. In Galatians 6.14, this is what it means to him. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, when we came to know Christ, we basically said, okay, world, not anymore. I'm not going after you anymore. But when we complain, it's like we go back and say, but no, I really, I really do want that. No, that's not what we agreed to when we came to know Christ. We gave that up. 
Maybe those are some verses you can remember when you're in the middle of a struggle and you're thinking about what you want or deserve or don't have or whatever. Go back to those verses. Wait a minute. Who am I living for? Who am I living for? Number four, it forgets that Jesus has become our eternal source of joy. He's the one who is going to be our source. He is the one who's like the woman at the well. He's offering the water that when you drink of it, you never do what again? You never thirst again. Or he's the one, he's the vine and we're the branches. And it's when we're connected to the vine that we bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So it's through him. We got to look for our strength. Even to deal with this discontent that's causing us to complain, we've got to look for strength there from Him because He's the one that supplies it. Number five, I think this is a really hard one. Worst of all, complaining expresses regret that we ever surrendered our lives to Christ in the first place. It's like saying we regret coming to know Christ. The amazing story in John chapter 6 where John, or Jesus is, is preaching... And he's teaching, and it says in verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, meaning they heard his teaching, they heard what he was saying about what he came to do and his life, they heard it, and they said this, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? You ever done that? You ever heard something? And you're like, well, this is hard. Who can do this? But look what happens. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples, right? These are his disciples. These aren't people who rejected him. These are people who are following him. His disciples were grumbling about this and said to them, do you take offense at this? Great question, Jesus. And then look what happens in verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Disciples, don't like what Jesus says, what he's telling me to do. I'm leaving. So, what happens? Look what he says. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? What if Jesus asked us that question when we complain? What if he asked us that question? Because sometimes we don't like what he says. We don't like his word. We don't trust him when things are going really hard and we're tempted to to despair and complain and and do all these things. What if he said that to us? What he said, so you want to leave? You want to go away? I think our answer should be the same as Peter's in every situation of life. He says, Lord, you know, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is no other place to go. We believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what we need to be saying to the Lord. There's, there's nowhere else I can go. So dwelling on the work of salvation itself, it should be helpful to stop us in our tracks to complain. Number five, complaining is unworthy of a child of the King of Kings, forgetting all the blessings that we have already received and will receive in the future. 
Peter says that. He, say, he gives all the blessings in First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Did you hear that? Kept in heaven for you. It's waiting for you. God has an inheritance. He's keeping it up there by His power. He's keeping it there for you. Ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 6, He says, In this you rejoice. Not complain, but you rejoice. Even though, if for a little while, you have to face various trials. And that's our life, isn't it? We face trials. We face difficulties. We face these things that cause us to complain. But Peter's saying, no, remember what's, remember what's ahead so you can make it through. I love what Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3. You probably have heard this many times. The steadfast love of the Lord never what? Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Who wrote that? Who wrote it? Jeremiah. If you know the story of Jeremiah, you know that Jeremiah had a very hard life. And in this situation, when he wrote this, he was going through incredibly difficult times. Just read the first part of chapter 3 if you want to see what those things are. And yet he's saying, I'm going to rejoice because God's mercies are new every day. If Jeremiah can say it, so can we. Number six, and I'm not going to elaborate on this, complaining sets a bad example. That's kind of obvious, right? It sets a bad example. And then the last one, complaining makes no one want to be like you. We agree, right? Complaining makes no one want to be like you, especially, and this is the key for a church, especially unbelievers. In the same book that Paul explains why we're not supposed to be grumblers in Philippians, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do That's one of those crazy Greek words, the all word, right? Which means all. Do all things. (laughs) Meaning, don't complain about anything. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? This is key. That you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the whole, the whole witness that we have is started by having an attitude where we don't grumble or complain. And it shows the world that even though we struggle and we go through the same things that they do, when we don't grumble or complain, it shows them that we have hope. And then they want to know about it. How can you be like that? Because I have hope. Let me tell you about it. So complaining, it is an evil from the devil. It is. And so my prayer is that like me, after you hear these things, you now have a different perspective on grumbling or complaining. But I don't want to just kind of leave it there. I want to turn it around for the last couple of minutes with a few practical suggestions. And I can't go through all these, but there's 20 of them on your handout. 20 practical suggestions. How do we deal with this complaining in a godly way? 
Well, the first one is you got to be saved first. So if there is anyone in here that has never given their life over to Christ, well, you're just going to be grumbling and complaining and you have no hope to do anything else. You got to come to know Christ first. And then number two, we got to stop making excuses. Stop making excuses for complaining. You recognize some of these. I'm not complaining. I'm just venting. I'm just venting. I just I got to get it out. Right. And the world says, you know, and the psychologists and all that, they're going to say that's a good thing. Just get it out. Wait a minute. You remember what we just said earlier? What is it when it's coming out? It's vomit. That's not good for it to come out. That's not a good thing. Remember what Jesus says. What comes out of the heart defiles you. So we should never say, oh, it's a good thing to complain. It's not a good thing. It's defiling. No, don't make excuses like saying God has abandoned me. God's left me alone in this. Really? Has he left you alone? Did he not fulfill his promise where he said, I will never leave you or forsake you? No, he didn't. You ever say this? No, but no one knows what I'm going through. What I'm going through is so difficult and so hard. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible teaches that the struggles that we go through are common. Everybody goes through the same types of struggles. Not exactly the same, but different. I didn't expect things to be like this. Really, when we came to know Christ, did Jesus say, in this world you will have what? Troubles, tribulation. That's what's going to happen. We should expect that. He warned us in advance. No, that's what this life is going to be like. We're looking forward to the next one. What about this? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this. Really? Do we really want to talk about what we deserve? We know what we deserve, don't we? We deserve to spend eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. Or I can't help it. I just can't help it. Before you were saved, that's true. After you're saved, you are no longer a slave to sin. So we can help it. Right? So we got to get rid of those excuses. Number three, it's a learned skill. It's a learned skill. It's something that you're going to have to, you know, we, some of us have become, you know, we're so good at complaining, we've practiced for decades. We're so good at it. Right? So to undo that, it's going to take practice the other way. It's going to pre- take practice at dealing with the problem that we have inside of being discontent and being ungrateful and learning to praise God and thank God instead of complaining. Well, there's a lot of them there. I, I, I'm out of time, but I want to focus on one last one. But I would suggest read through these because I think these suggestions, some of them you'll say, wow, these are really, this is really good. I can do this. Number 14, be involved in world missions. You know, we, we live in a great country. And in this country, we have so many things we can't even imagine. How wonderful it is. Those of you who have been to other places, other countries, other third world countries, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like. Well, like uh, like Thomas was saying, I got involved in a ministry in 2007. I was invited to go to India and I went to India and India was like a different planet. It was like a whole different planet. I was like, where am I? And I mean, the. The poverty, the number of people, 
the smells, the just everything there was just so off-putting, except the people. And we met believers there. We met, we met these guys who would have maybe one meal a day. And they're, they're, they're pastors in a village that has maybe 30 or 40 people that come to their little church in their village. And they're so poor that they can only have one meal a day. Never had an opportunity to have, to have any biblical training whatsoever. And they're the pastor of the church. Maybe they have a Bible. And we see these guys and the look in their eyes because they're chosen and children of God just like we are. And to see that they love him in spite of the fact that they live in such struggles and they are passionate and they pray, what they lack is what we have. Resources. Resources. And so, I wish I could say more to that. I'd love to talk to you if you're interested more in that. But we put a little prayer card in there. If I could ask you to at least just pray for us as we go there. Because we have another opportunity to just not only teach the men, but my wife and some other gals are going to be teaching these ladies. Some of these ladies have never been taught by anybody in their life uh, as far as another lady, another woman of God. And some of these people, they don't know how to read and and this is who we're going to. And we have all these resources, and they have so few. And so when we go there, it's a reminder. It's a reminder, wow, God, you, what, what do I have to complain about over here? Really, I have nothing to complain about. And the encouragement that we receive from, from seeing their faith in Christ and their love for Christ is just, is just amazing. And so when you get involved in missions and you see the way God is working all over the world, those of you who've done it, it's an amazing thing. It changes your perspective on life. And so that's one of the ways. Get involved in missions, whether you, whether you pray or you give or you go somewhere, and God will use it to change your life. Well, thank you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we come to you and we, we know all these things that we read this morning are true about who you are and what you've done. And, and I just pray that um, we would take these things seriously. We know we don't want to grumble and complain about you and how amazing it is what you've done for us. But we struggle. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would... Uh, grant them the ability to really become those who just shine hope in everything they do. And that everybody around here in Meridian and Boise and Nampa and all these places where they live, that they would see the hope of my brothers and sisters here and want, want to be part of that. And so I pray that uh, maybe the next time I get a chance to come here, Lord, they'd be in a different building because this building's too small. And that you would do that, Lord, for your glory, because we want to see you receive all the glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.